Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on Go Big Orange Friday. A very morose Go Big Orange Friday here as uh, I make the announcement that I. It's seemingly unlikely. It's a game time decision tomorrow um, for uh, Chase's appearance. Going third person here at uh, Neyland Stadium for the Gators versus the Vols at 3.30 on CBS. I uh, broke my foot last week, and uh, I'm in a boot. Some people are saying that it's one of the more bold and uh, just admirable decisions to uh, not make the trek to uh, see Tennessee, Florida in person in an effort to heal my foot. Um, The same foot injury that... uh, caused Michael Jordan to play seven minutes a, a half for a full season in 1985 because uh, he wanted to come back after six weeks away in a boot uh, for the same injury, left foot. But Ryan Shumpert of Rocket Top Insider is here to get me through this uh, agony. Uh, very, very frustrated. Uh, I Goodness gracious. I, I don't know what else to say, Ryan. I'm just so frustrated. Yeah, I mean, it is. I didn't. Even, we were talking about it before we were, were airing. I didn't even think about it. Obviously, I don't know, but I can't. Like, I, I feel like you never take vacation. So, of course, on the honeymoon, one yep. vacation, boom, broke, broken foot. <laughs> this is your reward for one time taking a vacation and not going yes. 100 miles per hour throughout your fall. So, uh, some would call it a heroic move, truly, and no doubt a selfless move by you, uh, looking like you're not going, questionable to doubtful. But yeah, I, I can't say I envy you. It's, a, it's an incredibly tough break. Is that a joke? Tough break. Is that a bit? Are you doing a pun? Was that an intentional pun? Are you trying to hurt me, Ryan? No, I, I'm just that. I'm just. I'm just that good. It wasn't even intentional, and I just. Uh, I just hit one right on the nose. I have never broken a bone, and okay. it's just. I mean, I could. I. I don't know if I can even get this up now. I don't know if I can be able to pull this up and show the listeners on YouTube.com. But I. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to try it. I, that would be even dumber to like break something else in an effort to show the boot. Uh, I promise the boot's real and uh, it's uh, not spectacular. But, you know, it it is what it is. We'll see what happens. I need to do the Hugh Freeze thing. I need to get talk to him and see if I can do the thumbs up from the press box. Maybe that's what they can do. <laughs> they can airlift me into the stadium and just set me up that way. And then... Uh, that's how I watch the game. Um, but at that point, it's like if I'm in that kind of capacity, I might as well just stay on my couch and have my foot elevated. If I'm if I'm gonna be in a bed rest situation, I don't know. I've every answer I come to, Ryan, is just uh, pain and agony and frustration. I uh, I don't know. This this sucks. The timing's terrible. Like summer would have been perfect. Who cares? Like summer, it's hot. It's terrible. No sports going on. We only get. A couple of these games every year like this is the biggest tennessee game in a really long time and i've been looking forward to this for i mean just months and uh i i, I don't know i don't even know if i'm able to go to kentucky when that's happening like i just goodness gracious I'm, I'm so frustrated i'm so flustered yeah i mean i do think that's like the the positive i feel like with us you know maybe a little bit smaller crowd or at least less chaos around the stadium for like kentucky Mm. You know, maybe you'll be able to make it work, but like, you know, just like we were talking about any sort of option you have or any sort of route you look at to make it work, (laughs) you just realize, oh yeah, it's Florida. There's going to be a billion people on campus and that makes getting around and crushes 
extremely difficult. So it's an injury, a re-injury. It's just something else is going to happen. I just, I don't think I can do it in good conscience. Like it's just the dumb guy brain, sports guy brain of like, it'll be fine. Like I can find a way. And then you get there in reality. You're like, Nope, this is a mistake. I can't do any of this. This is a, this is a nightmare. Well, um, either way, um, it's still happening. Tennessee is still playing Florida. Um, and, uh, let me check my notes here. Every recruit who's ever been recruited by the University of Tennessee will be at this game. And uh, that's both very cool and also terrifying that everybody is going to see this up close. Uh, Nico on down, 2024 kids, Devin Hobbs, it's going to be in the building. It really is going to be an all-time recruiting weekend. I don't know. Are they all going to be on the field? How does this work? Because that is a lot. Like I looked at the full list of names today. And Ryan, it looks like an obscene amount, which I'm here for, but also... It's kind of ballsy to do all of this for Florida with the the history there. And uh, I don't know if you want all of these kids to see this in person. I, I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about the whole thing. I don't, I don't like it. Lean into it. I mean, Josh Heifel's leaned into it all week of, you know, I remember Butch Jones was Tennessee's coach in all these games. You know, he, w- he wouldn't lean into what a big game it was. And it's, you know, it's a big game because it's the next one. But, it, you know, it's not any different. And, and Josh Heibel's kind of had that same mindset of you can only always only focus on what's ahead of you. But, you know, he's talked about it this week that he's addressed it with his team, that this is a huge game. And there are a l- lot of stakes on this game. And there's going to be a lot of buzz around this game. And to enjoy it, enjoy it, you know, as I wrote an article this week, the eyes of college football will be on Knoxville. And I think, you know, he's kind of addressed it that way to embrace it with his team. And I kind of respect it. I like it doing the same thing with the recruiting on it. And you're right. I mean, it's it's hard not to see the potential negative of it, of the disaster looming of a Tennessee 40 game, especially one where Tennessee is double digit favorites, which is, you know, they're uncharted territory uh, for this program. But I like it. And you're right. I mean, it's not a ton, a ton of 2023 guys. You hit on Davion Hobbs. He's probably the biggest one. Bison Lang. Uh, an offensive lineman from down in Alabama, probably being another one too. But man, it, it seems about just every single big time 2024, 2025 uh, recruit is going to be on Tennessee's campus. Well, we'll see what it ultimately means. Devin Hobbs ending up uh, in this class will be pretty cool. Um, but in terms of the actual game, Ryan Shumpert, it's time for Clairvoyant Ryan to enter the chat. Do you think the Tennessee Volunteers beat Florida tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, as you probably know from me coming on your podcast now for, what's, I guess, going on two years, I think. Yeah, yeah, I've long been, I'm going to have to see Tennessee beat Florida guy to pick them. But mm. this week, or see him beat him more consistently. But this week, as I've spent, you know, my whole livelihood looking at the game and studying the game and using my brain to logically, you know, uh, look at the game with logic, and I, I think Tennessee wins. I just think the question marks with Florida's offense, it, are just huge, and I think the fact that and something I'll really be looking at on Saturdays, it just it seems like Anthony Richardson's banged up. You know, he took a hit in that Kentucky game and looked a little uh, gimpy after it, and they didn't run him much at all against South Florida, and he looked tentative to run. And granted, going into that game, maybe the game plan was not to run him because they didn't feel like they had to, but by the fourth quarter, they had to run him, and they still didn't mm-hmm. run him. So, you know, I think it's probably maybe you know they were saved trying to save his you know, his legs for the Tennessee game. But I think it's probably maybe a little bit more serious than anyone in Gainesville is letting on. And if Anthony Richardson isn't able to beat Tennessee with his legs, I have a hard time seeing Florida's offense having a ton of success against Tennessee. What is the biggest reason for concern about Tennessee winning this game? I think it's, you know, I, I, I said this to somebody yesterday. When I'm looking at 
path to Tennessee winning, path to Tennessee losing. You know, it, it's very similar around Anthony Richardson. The path to Tennessee losing is Anthony Richardson does what everybody did against Tennessee's defense last year. I mean, you go back to last season and Emory Jones, Bryce Young, mm-hmm. Will Levis, Stetson Bennett, and Matt Corral, all their their biggest rushing game in the year was all against Tennessee. And Emory Jones and Corral, really the only two guys in that bunch that are true running quarterbacks, ran for over 120 yards. All it's, of which were on third and short. <laughs> yes. Sometimes not third and short either. And I mean, I've never yeah. seen an Ole Miss team just run quarterback draws on third and long with complete confidence that they were going to work, and they did. Mm. Um, so that's the path. You know, that is how does Tennessee lose? That's it. It's Anthony Richardson being a really dynamic with his legs. He's making plays. The path to Tennessee winning, and when you look at Florida's offense, I think it's the fact that Anthony Richardson has really struggled against zone defenses. Teams have been able to confuse him this year. And you look, Tennessee is a team that runs a ton of zone blitzes. I mean, go back to that Pittsburgh game. They run a ton of zone always in that Pittsburgh game. They were incredibly aggressive uh, attacking with zone blitzes. And Keaton Slovis did a good job for the most part of being making quick reads and getting the ball in the right spot. And he was just getting those balls out in the first half just in time when he didn't take some, some, you know, some crucial sacks like the one that knocked him out of the game. That's his Slovis' strength as a quarterback is being able to process the defense quickly and make the right reads. That has not been Richardson's strength. But if Tennessee can get – some of these blitzes home, confuse him, hit him when he's already a little gimpy coming into this game. I think Florida's offense is going to have a lot of a lot of problems. And in a game like this, Florida's offense is not going to be able to have a lot of problems and win. Uh, we'll see what Tennessee does. Cedric Tillman's injury is kind of the big question mark for Tennessee's offense. But with or without him, I think Tennessee's going to be able to score 30 points in this game. And if Anthony Richardson doesn't come out and have a good game, I don't think Florida can keep up. What does no said Tillman mean for the Vols offense on Saturday? I think it means a lot more targets for Brew McCoy. I mean, mm. we, I talked about it in uh, ad nauseum, really, after the Pittsburgh game that they need to throw him the ball more. And, you know, it's no surprise that Cedric Tillman is putting in Hooker's security blanket. He's been throwing the ball to him now for over a year. They had all offseason thrown together where McCoy just got here in the offseason. He was dealing with a hip injury when he got here. So they're Hooker and McCoy, we're still trying to kind of get that continuity, but I think he's a big-time playmaker. I think he's really capable of making big plays. And Saturday, if Tillman doesn't go, which is kind of how things seem to be looking here, a little over like 27, 28 hours out from kickoff, uh, I think it's going to be McCoy getting a lot of targets. Hyatt certainly as well is going to get his opportunities, but Hyatt's going to get his opportunities even if Tillman was in the game. So I think Mm. it leads to a lot more looks for Brew McCoy. And then I'll be really curious to see what – who gets Tillman's reps if hmm. he doesn't go? I think we McCoy's the one who gets a lot of his targets, but uh, is it a rotation? Do they go heavy with a guy like Ramel Keaton, or is it – there's a lot of bodies there. I mean, we talked about in the preseason, Tennessee talked about wanting to play seven or eight guys. I said, I don't think they're going to do that because they're going to want to play their starters. Well, now that they have one of their starters out, do they have one guy step up, or is it by rotation? My thought is it'll probably be rotation, and you'll see Ramel Keaton, uh, Walker Merrill, Jimmy Holiday – get a decent bit of reps. And the one that I would be really curious to see is, does Josh Heifel trust Squirrel White in a game like this to play him? He's been a slot guy, which obviously is where Hyatt's at, but does Hyatt get some reps outside or do they move Squirrel White outside? Because to me, of uh, those four guys that I uh, named as backups, he's the most dynamic playmaker and could present the most problems for Florida's defense. I'll be interested to see how much trust Heifel puts in the freshman. I mean, my guess, what I think, based on what we've seen from Golish and Heupel to this point, is they're going to move Hyatt outside. I think they're going to move him outside, and they're going to put Squirrel right there at the slot. I think if we had, if I had to guess who gets the most snaps, if this, if Tillman does not play, 
if I had to guess who gets the most snaps uh, in the three personnel in the eleven personnel uh, out wide, I would guess that would be the rotation. Squirrel, I mean, he put him out there for punt returns. We'll see if he's returning yeah. punts on Saturday. I I think there's enough there where I would not be surprised if he is the one. Like Merrill and Holiday makes the most sense, right? Like that's probably of just you move Brew over. Hyatt's been comfortable in the slot. You don't move there, and then you just see what ha- who looks better between Holiday and Merrill, and you ride the one of those two guys uh, throughout the course of the game at the other spot. And it's like they've already gotten away with that last year anyway. It wasn't like uh, uh, Peyton was getting targeted a bunch at that other outside yeah. receiver spot. So really, I'm not even sure it really matters if you slide Brew over and Jalen stays in the slot. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it. I don't think you're lacking guys to throw to if that happens. Yeah. But you're lacking Cedric Tillman, who's the best you know receiver in the SEC, and, and 33 percent of Hooker's targets. Like Hooker yeah. is just that's been his guy. Yeah, I mean you go back to last year, even when I guess in the last month of the season, Tillman kind of started to pull away from Bayless mm-hmm. as Tennessee's leading receiver. But for a lot of last year, Tillman and Bayless were pretty even in stats and yards and production. But anytime it was starting intermediate, anytime it was starting long, and Tennessee has to attack that intermediate passing game which they don't do a ton on first downs we know it's a lot of quick stuff we know it's a lot of stuff down the field it is always Cedric Tillman who Hinton Hooker has that comfort level and and Mm -hmm. wants to go to so I think in that sense it's that's where you feel the loss more than anything and I think because of that this can't be a game like the pit game where you get into a lot of third down third and longs and you lose first downs and you're slow to get things going I think Tennessee getting that first first down on drives is going to be super super important and I think Tennessee being successful on first down and not putting itself in obvious passing situations uh, in third and long where a limit afford a defensive line that's not as good as it typically is getting out of their passer can get a little bit more creative coming after them in Tennessee and Hooker then doesn't have this security blanket in Tillman uh, I think that's where Tennessee has to win uh, in early downs uh, maybe a little bit more yeah we'll see what ultimately happens but I because it was a weird way Cedric got injured. Like, obviously, uh, a friendly fire there getting knocked into. Like, it said he's been living in the training room all week and trying to get right. I Do we really know what the full extent of, like, even what he has and what ultimately happened and if there was any actual damage? Because it's like, the ankle's not right. The ankle's not right. And that, and as someone who's dealing with the foot thing, I just... I'm not certain this is something that's just going to go away in a couple weeks I, or even just one week. I'm more concerned about the big picture here with Tillman. And I wonder if they're kind of hiding how much concern there is long term for this season with him. Yeah, I don't really think that's the case. I maybe wonder of it being something that nags him all season and he doesn't yeah. get back to 100 percent. That you need rest. Seems, yeah, it's, that to me seems extremely logical, but. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be something that sidelines him a super long time. And I do think that the bye week ends up being at a perfect time for Tennessee yeah. to get Tillman back for the LSU game, which to me I think is probably what they've been targeting most of the week, if hmm. I had to be. I mean, obviously Tillman, like you said, has been in the training room a ton. He's He wants to be ready to play, but realistically I think that's kind of always been the target. And I think he will be – I don't think he will miss a ton of time is he hundred percent when he comes back I, to me, to your point, I think that's probably more accurate. And that was the other thing that's interesting about it is that, it, you know, it ended up being an ankle injury. Yeah. And you mentioned it. It was the friendly fire on and the speed option when Dylan Sampson got rolled mm-hmm. up into him. He came back into the game after that, yeah. which is 
really, really odd. Well, hold on. As a fellow athlete and a premier athlete, uh, there's an adrenaline part of it when you get injured and you're in that motion and you're just like, your body's like, it's fine. Go, go, go. It's not that bad. And you keep going and you're like, ah, I'll shake it off. It's that next next morning. It's the later on when you're out of out of the football pads and everything else. And you're like, oh, is that what my ankle looked like? Is that where I'm at? And then it starts hitting you. Uh, the adrenaline rush. Yeah. And no, and I agree with that from Cedric Tillman's standpoint. Yeah. But like he went into the medical tent. The trainers yeah. looked at him and Jabari Small earlier in the game, second carry of the game. Yeah. He boom, goes down, comes over very quickly in the medical tent, very quickly out of it. Didn't seem serious. He was a full participant at practice Tuesday. And they were like, yeah, we're not putting Jabari Small back mm-hmm. in against Akron. Are you kidding me? Why was that not? You know, that seems like that would have been the case mm-hmm. with Tillman, too, which to me is the surprising part. And then obviously when he got that low hit and it kind of looked like he was holding his knee after yeah. that play, they took him out and didn't put him back in after that. But I thought it was interesting that it did end up being an ankle, which you went in the game after what, you know, seemed to get rolled up there. And you're right. I mean, if it was Florida, they were playing Florida and that happened. Yeah, Tillman's probably going back in and finishing the game. The eternal is pushing him. I'm just surprised that. And he's like a bowling medicals. ball for an ankle after the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he literally can't get his foot, his sock yeah. and, uh, and shoe off. But yeah, to me, that was kind of the other interesting element of the injury. Um, speaking of Jabari Small, like one of the weird things about this Tennessee season to this point, um, we talk about the depth and stuff like that, but it's really just they haven't been very like I was not a Jabari Small truther. A lot of folks just penciled in Jabari Small. He got, did you hear this? Did you hear about this? He put on some weight and some muscle this offseason and was going to be able to be more of a three down back and someone they can count on more. But he really hasn't run the ball well. And I can't figure, I, I don't know where I would pinpoint as to why Tennessee has struggled to run the ball uh, to the extent that they have uh, versus last year. And I, it's not like it's a gigantic problem, but I think last time I looked over, it's like seven. They're seventieth uh, in rush yards per game at this point on uh, CFB stats, and you go through different things like Hooker, obviously, just not turning the ball over, and it's been fine. Maybe targeting Cedric Tillman a little bit too much um, in the passing game, maybe a little inaccurate. He's, I mean, Aaron Murray found a couple of those uh, in the Akron game where he's like, it's just a second off, or Hooker's just. He's just not perfect. He's and you've just become accustomed to Hooker being basically perfect to this point as the Tennessee starter. But it is weird that something I dropped out. I'm like, he just there is something a little off, which is both awesome because it's like they're winning and everything else, and he hasn't even been the best version of himself. But you're also like, I don't, I don't know what to do there. But in your estimation, Ryan, like, what have you seen that would uh, make the best? rationale as to why Tennessee has not been uh great at running the football through three weeks yeah to me I'm just like wait and see on the run game I guess because they played three games this year Mm. and two of them are against Akron and Ball State and you'd probably like to see them running you know a little bit better than they did but they ran the ball well in Mm. those games as you'd expect them to and then the other game was against probably the third best run defense they're going to see this year behind Alabama and Georgia. So I do think you have a little bit of just completely opposite directions of who you face. And it's kind of hard to figure out what this run game is at this point. And, you know, I'm not panicking about it or, you know, I'm not overly concerned because I think you go back to last year and Tennessee ran the ball poorly against Pittsburgh last year. I think you were kind of in a similar spot at this point last year as you are right now, but you're right. Small in particular, and some of his struggles have been surprising and I think he's been good. You know, we talk about the weight and 
being a three down back, I think he's been good in third and short in mm. those situations this year. I think he's been better than he was last year, but you just haven't seen kind of the same wiggle and ability to get to the, the second and third level uh, for most with him. And, and I do think, you know, I just don't think this is a great run blocking offensive line. I think they're fine. I think they're middle of the pack, but it's not, they're not going to just run out there and bully a, a lot of opponents and maybe Missouri, maybe it'll be a repeat of last year. But uh, to me, that's kind of a huge question mark. Maybe not question mark, but just a wait and see mode for me. It's running game, and Florida feels like an opportunity for a get right game in the running game because Florida's run defense has really struggled this year, and their best linebacker Vontrell Miller is questionable, seemingly kind of like Cedric Tillman, more doubtful uh, than questionable. And I think you will see Tennessee use Hendon Hooker his legs a lot on Saturday to be more creative and to get another blocker in there. But I think that's really a huge opportunity, and for me, one of the keys in the game is seeing. Tennessee's run game can get right and obviously that would help them win uh, those early downs that, that I talked about earlier and make a, life a little bit easier on the passing attack without Tillman. I also think I mean the speed option stuff with Samson was very cool and I just I think he's going to play sooner rather than later I think that's something that's going to help a lot too is if they have who Jalen Wright just the yards after like he's just bouncing off tackles and he's just uh, a problem to bring down and Jalen Wright I think has been the best of the bunch at this point but yeah um, I think Dylan Sampson's going to be in this rotation and get a lot of carries and be used sooner I mean it might be Florida if they're uh, needing some extra juice and there's another wrinkle there where Florida's not totally expecting Dylan to be a big part of that uh playbook this weekend i could i could see it uh very excited about samson i think uh he's gonna play sooner rather than later yeah he's looked really well really kind of what we've heard in fall camp yeah you heard a lot of buzz about him and i think he's he's lived up to it to this point uh he's definitely been been really solid and you're right i think the question mark is if no one's banged up you know how many reps does he earn how many carries does he earn because we've we've seen for the most part if tennessee has its top two guys healthy they're going to roll with them in the past two years you know i speak broadly about the josh heifel era and then when but you know it's the running back spot naturally guys are going to be banged up i think and you're right i think they're not going to be when that time comes i don't think they're going to be hesitant at all to give samson opportunities um when we look at mitchell who we were wondering whether or not he was going to play and if we'd ever see a Jawan mitchell ethan has been wondering if he actually is a member of the tennessee volunteers we saw mitchell and we saw brandon turnage uh last weekend what did you make of uh both players making their debut essentially for tennessee against akron yeah you know i thought both of them were probably a little bit underwhelming i don't think either of them had a great game now brandon turnage didn't play a ton and you know, I think those were different situations. You might be playing a ton this weekend. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, maybe, but... So what he, do you do with D. Williams out? And then you have, I mean, Christian Charles is obviously probably going to start, but Warren Burrell's banged up. I mean... I mean, that's what the situation was last weekend. And they were playing yeah. Akron and he still didn't play much. Like, I, th this is how I felt. What you just said is exactly how I felt going into last week's game. We were going to mm. see a lot of Brandon Turnage because who else was going to play? Mm. But... They just rolled, you know, once they got to the backups, they just rolled the guys that probably won't, you know, aren't even knocking on the door of playing a lot. And when the game was still in the first half, it was, I mean, he got, Turnage did get some run, but it was still mostly uh, Charles and Haddon. So and that's kind of my be dining with, uh He must be dining with Jimmy Calloway Jr. too much. That's got to be what it is. There must be some friendship between the two of them. And Heupel's like, can't do it. He's a close confidant of Jimmy Calloway. Can't, I can't trust him. Yeah, that's that's kind of how it feels at this mm -hmm. point because it's been really befuddling uh, just how little he's played. And you go back to last year and 
you know, he was one of the main guys out of the non-starters who, who played a, a lot and played well when he had opportunities, I think, with Theo Jackson without uh, one game, maybe the South Carolina game. And then even you go back early in fall camp, uh, I remember one of the coaches, I can't remember if it was Tim Banks or maybe Willie Martinez, the defensive back coach, you know, kind of saying like, you know, talking about all the guys and all the question marks in the defensive back room and like, yeah, Turnage, you know, he's he'll probably, you know, he's going to end up somewhere. I'm not sure where. Like he was kind of for foregone conclusion to be one of the main guys to play. And it has not been that. So, you know, I don't expect to see a ton of him. To me, for Jawan Mitchell, who I didn't think played particularly well last week against Akron, he is going to play a lot. He's going to have a lot of opportunities. How much better can he be uh, in game two this season uh, once he's knocked off a little bit of rust? Um, when you look at how this game goes, like what is the path to – like what does the game look like for Florida to win on, on Saturday? I think you have Florida has long drives where they convert a lot of third downs and they run the ball effectively. Tennessee doesn't get them in third downs. They get into a lot of third and two to third and five where you have Richardson as a threat to run. You throw to you make Tennessee defend everything. And then defensively, we they did they do what what Pittsburgh did really essentially in that game. And it's first stretches of the game. You take Tennessee's offense out of it, like really like Pittsburgh did for the first half of that first quarter and basically the whole third quarter where you just don't Tennessee's offense is never able to get in the rhythm. You don't let them get that first th- first down. And then when Florida's offense is on the field, they run a lot of clock and shorten the game and really shorten lessen the opportunities for Tennessee's offense. Yeah. I think that's how I saw it too. Cause I've seen some people like, Oh, the back and forth. I'm like, I don't, if Florida wins this game, it's not a back and forth. It's like 17, 16 or something. It's something really, really low scoring where Tennessee has a three and kind of like the pick game except they just sit on the ball when they get up 10 They just really are able to sit on it and run the clock out and just play keep away where Tennessee has a couple three and outs early and the Tennessee defense is on the field a bunch. Then, yeah, you could see it. I just, it's so funny, man. Cause I just, I don't see a path to Florida winning this game, which is so stupid. Like just it's just so such dumb, a horrible. But... You say that and then you just have like a pit yeah. in your gut. Just like, that's not a good feeling to have. Right. Because it's like if you remove the Florida Tennessee aspect to it, and all we knew was like what we seen from Team X versus Team Y, and yeah. you remove every the history and everything else, you're like, oh right, they should win this game by three touchdowns. Like this uh, matchup should go this way because of this offense, because of where this other offense is at, and like who's gonna be like it. Just that's how it should go. Like it ultimately should go that way. And I don't know, man. Like this, this is just such a huge, huge moment. And I the four zero Tennessee. I don't know. I like like I said before the year. I said Tennessee was either going to go like six and six, seven and five, or like ten and two, and this is the game that I think splits it off. Where it's like the come down from losing this particular game, I think will be tough to then get up for LSU and Baton Rouge right after, and then Bama. I don't know. You could see how the season can kind of just deflate a little bit in the middle part of it if this goes awry. But also, if they win, it's like, oh, well, then, I mean, they should be favored at Baton Rouge. They should be favored every other game outside of Bama and Georgia. And you're like, oh, the path's really actually weirdly kind of easy for 10 and 2. And we'll see. You're probably, I don't you're know. probably favored in 10 games yeah. if you win on Saturday. That's huge. Like, the year two, favored in 10 of your 12 games for the high player. I like that's. But hey, it's uh, it's favored. Um, we'll end on this. Your favorite florida memory ryan in the tennessee rivalry and your least favorite is what okay well there's two good ones for favorites so i'll go least favorite um and it's it's, it's 2015 i like guess mm. 
it's it's got to be. I mean, you, yeah. Whatever, whatever it was, ten straight losses at that point. I'm a sophomore in high school. I remember <laughs> I was watching it at a friend's house who wasn't a Tennessee fan, and Aaron Medley missed that kick. And I just remember just saying thanks and just walking out of the house and feeling like mm. I was going to throw up in his yard, just being so disgusted at how Tennessee blew that game in very Tennessee fashion. And you know, for best memory, I I was in the house both times Tennessee has beaten Florida. My very first game. In Neyland Stadium was the 2004 Florida. But were they both as fans? Yes, yeah, because I was in high school. So that's what I was wondering, Ryan. So you're out of the booth this week. Like, I think we kick Ryan out of the booth. I think you need to be with the fans, and you need to appreciate it as a fan this weekend. That's what we got to do. Well, I don't know about that. My last, my last two games as a fan uh, in this rivalry was the 20, was the Hail Mary, and Mm. then in 2018 when I was a freshman and that game was over by the end of the first quarter. So Mm. I don't know about that. Uh, Tennessee just hasn't been very good against Florida period. They weren't very good when I was a fan either. So then they haven't been very good when I've been a a big J. So, uh, but I I will go favorite memory. My my favorite memory. Mm. I will go 2016 when as a member, you know, I was like, I was like, I'm never going to Tennessee Florida game until Tennessee beats Florida. Mm. I mean, this is it's kind of funny. This memory's coming back to me. I hadn't thought about this in a long time. I was in student council. And mm. We had that was homecoming week, and for the first time, we had a homecoming dance. And since I was in student council, I had to go to homecoming dance. Mm. And I was like, I remember telling my dad that week, I was like, if Tennessee loses to Florida, there is not a chance. I will walk into that school. We have to go to the game, so I have an excuse not to do anything. Mm. And we went to the game, and it was an awful first half. <laughs> and I was in the bathroom in a stall in the bathroom at halftime in the south end zone in the lock got jammed and I had to crawl out on the floor and it had to be one of the true low moments of my life to be crawling on a nasty floor out of a stall in a Neyland Stadium bathroom as Tennessee is getting beat by three touchdowns to Florida again in like the scorching 95 degree heat but then hey we all know what happens in the second half and it was a lot of fun holy shit I did not expect that story. You're crawling. I, I've been in those bathrooms. I don't know if I could do it. I, oh, it I would... was terrible. It was, it was the definite. <laughs> I just remember being there, and again, it's 95 degrees. I'm sweating yeah. unbelievably, and being like, "This right here is the definition of being down bad." That I is am down the bad. Defin- I am down so so bad right now. But then two hours later, I was not down bad. Two hours later, I was as happy as I'd been in a long time. So man great, great great memories of the second half i guess your question was literally favorite memory and i just told about how awful my first half of that game was first half and halftime of that game was but the memories of the second half uh, are what what persevere they had us in the first half it's the meme right there yeah um you did the real life meme that's that's amazing i don't think i've ever that's like a nightmare scenario of like a one that you just you hope never happens to you of getting locked in like a porter potty bathroom or yeah. in a bathroom a nasty bathroom stall and i don't think either have ever happened to me uh knock on wood to this point but goodness gracious neelan's one of the ones i would not yeah. want that to be the case i just remember like washing my hands for so long that there were like, three <laughs> or four people coming in and like they were done washing their hands and it was mm-hmm. like next person boom was there anybody else in the just... bathroom who saw you so you were isolated no, there were people. I mean, oh, so they was, were it watching. It wasn't this. like one of the massive bathrooms with like you know how many stalls, but there were you know it was three or four. There were people. And people saw me crawl up, crawl up, crawl from under there. Yeah, and I was just like, lock got jammed. <laughs> Most monotone voice. I'm not weird. I promise. I, I, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, uh, Ryan, what uh, can the good folks check out from you across Rocky Top Insider uh, this week? Yeah, tons of stuff previewing the game and then i'll have 
sometime, uh, probably by the time this podcast is out, my, my three keys to the game, we'll have game predictions, and then everything else you need to know if Tennessee gets set for their SEC opener uh, against the Florida Gators. Goodness gracious. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, I'll be doing the thumbs up from the Hugh Freeze booth uh, in my living room on Saturday, uh, unfortunately. But look, it is what it is. And I got to prioritize uh, my long term viability and health and uh, mobility with my foot. So, Ryan Shumpert, thank you as always, my friend. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds great. All right, we're back. Here is the local hour here on the Chase Holmes Podcast on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Rolls along here on this Friday afternoon. Here with me, Brian Baston of On the Forecheck. Brian, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Congratulations to you, Mr. Married Man. Mr. Married Man is what they call me. Mr. Married Man, Mr. Husband also would have worked. Uh, mm-hmm. Just all kinds of fun stuff there. Honestly, I've got a question dedication. Mm-hmm. If if you didn't get married until Saturday, so we could have recorded Correct. last week. I mean, I don't know why your priority. I had a rehearsal dinner uh, on Friday and I was running around. People were coming into town. I was not around on Friday. There was mm. no recording. Also, this was the longest gap I was telling uh, Will about this yesterday. I was friend of the pod, Knoxville legend, uh, stats by Will, that uh because I, when i broke my foot on wednesday and then everything's like i had the longest podcast drought i've ever had in my my life like that was the longest wow. drought it was like almost seven days it was it was i think it was actually exactly seven days and wow. i've never gone that long yeah. it's crazy because like, i i've had this entire week it's the most media i've done mm-hmm. in probably years yeah. i this is this will be the sixth or seventh show i've done this week mm-hmm. uh and five of those weren't mine there so, you go is there is there and something important happening i was gonna say there has to know. be something on the calendar this it, week it just people were just wanted you know a guy who talks about tennessee sports on out but there's not nothing i know about that's really happening personally. yeah yeah i'm, tr- I'm trying to keep there, it. by the way is charlie burris of a to z sports charlie that is me yes yeah. yes the, the hard, hardest working man in the last week that i've seen mm-hmm. he's been all over the place <laughs> Only so. one, one week a year, baby. I put in that hard work. That's right. <laughs> That's all you get. <laughs> this is my Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, Florida week. But see, though, like, I don't think it's going to be the case this year. Like, Alabama, people are going to want to talk. Uh, people are going to be interested in Tennessee Bama. The people are going to be interested in Tennessee LSU. People are going to be interested in Tennessee Georgia. There's yeah, you win. Tennessee Georgia. Yeah, you yeah. win. You win this week. It's probably just going to get worse. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, but that's all right. We'll cross that bridge when it comes. And I hope hopefully it does get worse because I would like to win this game please and thank you i yeah. mean if we win this game 10 and 2 is on the table this is what i think like 10 and 2 is on the table i i, I gotta say for, for y'all who watch this or listen mm-hmm. you know i know not all of you are tennessee fans like the three of us but um, you should be yeah for you no well, I, I don't know about that but mm. you know i gotta say my condolences if you are but i did not in solidarity wear any orange i've got orange i've got tennessee shoes i got the on. knoxville um, yeah shout out to the tennessee baseball team i got yes. the forever and always shirt i bought in college uh-huh uh, still yeah. rocking it i like it it's classic mm-hmm. as, as excited as i am for the florida game i'm super excited i'm excited for college football and rec- the nfl football it's all been great we've no got NFL hockey football. hockey's NFL going football. on as we speak actually well speaking down. of you're, you're doing the cookout on saturday like uh-huh. what time is it is it in is it during the florida game how is this going to work for you brian it is starts in the morning and you put okay. me on the spot because i don't have the page open let me pull that open for you real fast 
Um, yeah, but that's going to be uh, on Saturday, tomorrow, or today as you're listening to it, I guess, mm-hmm. um, at uh, Charlie Daniels Park. Uh, starts at 10. There'll be free food and all that. So I've got plenty of time before before the there game. Um, so, yeah, make sure you guys come out to that. There's lots of stuff going on. There's giveaways. There's a cookout. There's a barbecue contest, which we've got prizes from people. It's a good way to start off this season. And then, uh, you know, like I said, they're they're out there practicing right now. So get ready for hockey season, guys. Everything's coming coming down the pike. Um, mm-hmm. That's why we have to start. Training camp started yesterday on Thursday for uh, the Preds and hockey in general. Like we're we're right here. Uh, preseason next Friday. Lightning on the docket. Like a lot is happening uh, mm-hmm. in a very short amount of time. Um, a doubleheader Monday night at Bridgestone. What do, what do we have ahead of uh, this week, Brian? Yeah, so there's a bunch of stuff going on. So as I said, um, we've got the Predators. They they started out yesterday with on-ice testing and some media stuff. Um, and then we've got them on uh, on the ice today with three groups. Um, they'll, be work, they'll be practicing at Centennial today, tomorrow, and I believe Monday morning. Uh, but, you know, they've got three groups. You know, they start at 9 a.m., uh, it's going to be great. We've got a lot of guys in there. Again, obviously the roster's really big because they haven't made the cut down. So we're going to see pretty much everybody who's not overseas playing, you know, playing hockey right now. We'll see everybody. So we'll get to see um, Askarov. We'll get to see Igor Afanasiev. We'll get to see Mark Del Gaizo. Guys like that, Luke Evangelista, who, you know, took some time to get in in the preseason. He wasn't participating a bunch in rookie camp. Uh, but he showed up during the during the preseason or the rookie showcase last week. So it'll be good to see all these guys and get eyes on them. Um, but we've got a it's a big week. You know, they're going to be doing that. And um, I'd be I'd be I can't believe I didn't write this down in the outline. But uh, they had with practice yesterday, the Predators had a very special guest and a new uh, staff member on the coaching staff uh, mm. joined the team yesterday. Uh, the one and only Pecorine has returned to the national okay. organization. He's joined as a special alumni advisor. He's going to be working with uh, goaltending coaches, uh, especially Ben Vanderklok, um, who's been longtime Predators goaltending coach. And you look at the goalies he's he's coached. He's doing a pretty good job. But Pecorine is here. He's fresh off of being at the uh, World Championship, World Juniors. A couple months ago, he was uh, Team Finland's goaltending coach, who they finished silver with a silver, so that's fantastic. Uh, but he'll be uh, doing that, you know, doing some observation work with the coaching staff, working with the goalies. And then he's also an ambassador for a lot of the charity and Preds Foundation stuff going to be here in Middle Tennessee. So um, with like the uh, the Smile 365, like the, the, the dental uh, charity, the Pred Foundation, he'll be there and he'll be a representative. So he's kind of back in town and um, I know he's still got some stuff he's doing in Finland at the time, but I think he's going to be working back and forth. And I mean, he's on the ice right now with UC Soros and Kevin Lankin and Askarov, which has to be surreal for them just to see this guy back in the building. And so uh, that's really exciting. And then on Monday, um, we get to see double header against Florida, 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. As of 10 minutes ago, there are still tickets available for free for that game. So you go in there, you can reserve up to four. It's no reserve seating. So you can get those tickets and go into the game. There's going to be a bunch of stuff. Um, you going? I, I will be there. I've got, uh, I'll, I'll probably be there. I know for sure for the whole set, the second game, but probably I'll walk over around three 30 or four after work tomorrow and, and, and get that coverage going. We've got some other people going to be there. So it's really most exciting. excited about seeing tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, who am I most excited? Um, you know, I, I am very 
I'm very curious to see Nino Niederreiter and Ryan McDonough. Um, they'll probably play with the, with the roster being as big as it is and it being a double header, the rosters will be split up. So it's going to be some weird pairings and stuff, but yeah, I'm really excited to see how those guys work. Um, you know, that's our first real good look at them, you know, at, at what they can do and how they're interacting with the, with the team. And I think it's going to be pretty great. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them. Obviously, very excited to see Askarov as well, kind of in in the crease in Nashville gold. That's going to be pretty awesome to watch. There you go. Uh, what about you, Charlie? Who are you most interested in this preseason? I, I mean, those new guys are definitely what I'll be looking out for because there's all, all the quotes this week from the players that I saw where they're just like, we're so glad to have the veteran, you know, new veteran presence around, blah, 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 blah. Um, I want to see if it actually makes any kind of difference. I don't know that these games will be a great representation of that because, as Brian said, it's kind of, uh, it's not not the real team playing. It is the real players, but it's not the actual pairings you're going to see when the season starts, things like that. But just to see their their impact on the way that these guys play because, I mean, if you're the Predators right now, you got to be searching for anything that is going to elevate the level of play. Uh, and maybe that is what it will take. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not expecting them to be some shot in the arm that makes this a cup contender all of a sudden. But I, if it can be anything and everything, I, I just want help uh, on this team. So I'm, I'm interested to see what they do. And, and these young guys, you know, obviously plenty of dudes um, that you honestly just need to step up all all across the board mm-hmm. um yeah i mean it, it's just and just to see hockey in general it's so nice <laughs> to have it back yeah <laughs> I think that almost more than anything is just that yeah so i mean it, it's gonna be good because you know a lot of people weren't able to watch some of the rookie showcase games that happened last week um as you know yeah igor afnasiev kind of he made a statement during those games. I think he had three goals in those three games. He's a guy that I've been a huge fan of. He's been a, a fan favorite for a while, despite not playing very much in, in Nashville, but every, they love him in Milwaukee. Um, I've got a good friend uh, who works for uh, Windsor uh, up in the, in the CHL and he works in their, in their uh, front office. And he said that he's always been a guy that always wants to learn. Like he wants all of the analytics stuff. He wants to look at it so he can get better and the fans love him. And that, that's the same in Milwaukee and it's going to happen here in Nashville. So he he's really looking to kind of make this final push to see if he can't make the roster. There you go. I like it. I like it. Um, next up Czech Republic uh, says teams cannot take Russian players. That would uh, include uh Jacob Trenin. So what, what is going on there, Brian? What is uh, what does all this mean? And uh, what uh, what do you make of this? Uh, yeah. continually developing story. So this has been a little bit interesting to see. So this came out yesterday morning. I, re- I reported that it was per an ESPN report uh, talking about that the, the Czech foreign ministry had told those two teams, the Sharks and the Predators for the global series, that any Russian players that are on the team would not be welcome. Obviously, um, they are allies with Ukraine. It's a, it's a complicated situation over there. Um, and the EU is also kind of pushed for that, you know, in that part of Eastern Europe, that type of area. Um, so that those pretty interesting to see, because like you said, um, San Jose, they've got um, Alexander Barbanov and Veni Svechnikov, the other Svechnikov, um, which I think he's on a PTO, so he may or may not be going. But for sure, you know, a guy who was on the roster all season last year would be Yakov Trenin. Um, you know, he wouldn't that would affect him. Um, talked about Igor Afanasyev. He would be another player that could be affected. And then if they decided to take, if they were going to take uh, Askarov, 
that was another one that's going to be that's going to be a little bit of an issue there. Um, you know, the team deferred, the Predators did defer kind of to the NHL that the NHL was going to be handling this and that they're already in the process of handling it. Um, it's going to be interesting that the Sharks, though, at practice yesterday were much more um, much more open about their feelings. I think the uh, the new GM, um, he had talked about um, his, his first name, his last name is Greer. I, I apologize that it's, it's uh, blank, I'm blanking on that. But he said basically that we all go or nobody goes. And so hmm. I think there's going to be a little bit of a standoff. The NHL had said they don't they don't expect to see any issues with all the players being able to play. But you know, this is kind of bigger than hockey and it's also a preseason game, you know, that's, you know, it would be very easy. Obviously you don't want to punish these players for something that they had nothing to do with, but you know, if they decide they, they're not going to do it because they won't let them, you know, there's people who have booked these expensive like vacation packages to go out over to the global series, go to Switzerland and stuff like that to go to those games. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And I imagine since that's coming up really soon that they're going to have some, they'll probably have some word at either end of the today or maybe by Monday after the weekend's over. So it's intriguing. And it is a, it's a situation we're not used to seeing where, where politics and, and, and hockey kind of collide. Um, one of the biggest people who've been talking and kind of campaigning against the global series coming to Prague is, uh, you know, Czech, a former Czech player, uh, Dominic Hasek, who, who's been a huge, big proponent for, um, you know, opposition to having Russian players coming to Prague. So, you know, he's a huge name in hockey history, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. What do you think, Charlie? I mean, I have kind of been waiting for some of this to dissect with hockey because you have Russian guys all over this league. Mm -hmm. uh, so it almost felt inevitable. I mean, obviously, I, this is so stupid just from the Czech government. I mean, these guys have nothing to do with that conflict that, uh, you know, it's not like they're out here supporting vladimir putin and you know mm -hmm. like doing yeah, something trying, going over there participating in the war it's just silly i mean i get it it's from the czech side obviously they have some serious interests that we in the united states do not in what's going on there but like this is still it's just ridiculous and so yeah i, I hope that they get it worked out i would say that i definitely agree with that san jose take if these guys can't play, don't play these games. Don't. That's ridiculous and and unnecessary. I, it just doesn't almost have much of an impact on anything with them just being the first games that you play. Like, just skip it and just say, look, we tried and this whole thing's going on is what it is. Um, Kind of throw it in that same camp as like canceling games for COVID or whatever. Just go like, well, that's a deal. So yeah, that 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 would be my if they can't get it worked out. That would be my thing. It's just don't don't yeah. play them. Don't waste your time. Uh, and because it's like it's just not something that I I nobody needs to make a political statement. This is the NHL. It's sports. It's let this be. Let this be sports. Let that be politics. And you know, yeah, take it there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those. And, you know, there's that additional wrinkle, too, is that, you know, for the NHL, there's a lot of Russian players, like you said, and one of the most, you know, one of the most famous Russian players is Ovechkin, who's yeah. very, you know, very public with his with his friendship with the people in charge of the Russian government currently. And so I can understand why there may be some hesitation. And again, that's happening. All this stuff is happening a lot closer to them than it is to to us. And I can understand. But at the same time, if they're feeling comfortable enough to host the global series, yeah. then, you know, there should be, cause again, I think there's one, they have a, they have a 
hockey league, pro hockey league over there, the extra league mm-hmm. in, in, in the Czech Republic. And I believe they've got one or two Russian players who they gave visas to. So I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. It's very, this is, a, I almost feel like this is a conversation that's almost over my head because there's so many mm-hmm. more implications than just sports, but it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, again, Yakov Trenin's a part of the team. He got, got in a ton of time. He's, he's full fledged NHL guy. So I can't imagine them wanting to take, go and start these games and play without, you know, without a guy like him. Charlie PK Subban retires uh, with a flurry of big time retirements uh, this week that all kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, Retirement day uh, came early this week, but I want to ask you your biggest, your favorite, maybe PK predators memory is what Mm. I didn't come prepared for this, but it's a great question. I mean, really, I, Obviously, that cup run, you know, it. how do you beat something like that? And he, I think he was one of the pieces really took that team to that next level. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think just really the the way that he ingratiated himself here. And it seems like he's done mm-hmm. it every single place that he's played. Montreal loves the guy. Um, I don't know about New Jersey. Maybe they... <laughs> Maybe they do, but, uh, you know, just Nashville, he really embraced Nashville and just became a big part of the community. He has these great, uh, charity initiatives and things that he's done. And you, you even saw, I think I retweeted one of them, uh, just these great stories about where the one that I retweeted is like, he went to a children's hospital and had this great kind of secret moment that didn't get any media coverage. The person that wrote about this saw it, but didn't like get a video mm-hmm. of it or anything this great moment of him like comforting a girl with cancer and stuff. It's just like, this guy's so cool. And he just was a great personality. And it was also time. It's good that he sort of knows that it's over. Um, mm-hmm. But you hate, I, I hate when guys just play so far past their prime and just go, man, just, just end it. Just go yeah. take your money and go sit at the house and, and uh, it, it'll be okay. And I, I always appreciate that when guys know when it's time. And so I, yeah, I love it. He's, he's one of the, one of the best guys. I think even in the short time that he was in Nashville, he'll be remembered as one of the best guys that ever passed through here. I, I will put it that way. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I've, I've, so this is, that was rough. It was rough for me. I kind of saw it coming, but it was rough because I think as a guy who, who really started getting back into hockey big time during the cup run and stuff with, with PK Subban arriving in Nashville that year, he was the guy that that kind of broke the mold for me. You know, you see these guys, the hockey players and, you know, they're not the most personable types on the on, off the ice. It's just mm. kind of how it is. A lot of times they're not, you know, they're not native speakers or whatever. But PK, PK Subban brought that just, I wouldn't say like, just kind of like style, that swagger to it. Like not, you know, he was having fun and it was something that it would make a lot of people mad just by him existing, which is always great to see. Um, but he was, he was, you know, he was fun. He had that nasty shot. He was the be- one of the best defensemen in the NHL for several years. He won the Norris trophy, of course, with Montreal. Um, and, and like you said, you talked about with his philanthropy. I mean, his biggest thing that's going to go down in history is that in, in 2015, he announced that he was raising, he was raising $10 million of his own money to donate to the Montreal children's hospital. Mm. And it's the biggest like gift by a sports figure in Canadian history. And he is constantly there. He does the whole thing with them. He brings them Christmas presents. Um, he established the blue line bloody buddies here in Nashville, 
which was a program that got inner city kids and families with Nashville police officers and you would take them to a game and they get to sit in a box and all that type of stuff. So that was really cool. But, you know, he's a guy that on the ice, there's there's a lot of people saying, you know, he's kind of dirty, which I don't think so. I mean, we all can remember, um, you know, in, in the finals, uh, Sidney Crosby saying that, that that Subban has uh, bad breath. And so Subban showed up with a big bottle of Listerine before a game. Mm-hmm. And then we got to see, I think it was the next game after that was where uh, Sid was was laying on top of, of Subban up against the wall. And you could see him like hitting his head up against the ice and there was no call. Mm-hmm. Um, not salty about that still. Definitely not. Right. Uh, but this guy, I mean, he's just he's one of those guys that that the nhl desperately needs Hmm. um you know they're just it's not a visible it's not the most popular by any stretch of the imagination sport in the united states um but that's a guy that you can hook people in with and it was rough seeing that you know a lot of people like a lot of people powers that be they didn't want him being that face but i mean the greatest guy i really regret that i never got the chance to talk to him or interview him because he's just he was just a fantastic guy and, you know, entertaining as, as hell to watch. So I'm, I'm really going to miss him. It is wild. I mean, 33, we just have been like conditioned for like every hockey player to just play nearing 40. Like the mm-hmm. hockey timeline is just so much more uh, drawn out than every other major sport. It seems like yeah. outside of baseball, it's kind of in that baseball zone where they just, you could see a lot of these guys just hanging on and hanging on and hanging on and pk went young and uh 33 still uh relatively young in terms of hockey years but uh great career uh nonetheless um some bad injuries uh also were revealed this week uh ryan ellis out for the year kevin hayes out for the year um charlie when you look at those two major injuries what what jumps out to you more well i think that ellis one i've Give an absolute hell to David Poyle. I think he made the right call on that one. So I, I'll give him credit where it's due. Okay. Uh, I am very critical of a lot of his other decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very sad to see Ryan Ellis go uh, as a fellow redhead, uh, <laughs> redheaded beard haver. Mm-hmm. Um, Ellis was one of my favorite dudes on that team. And I, he's, I think he's done. I, I don't... It, I don't want to wish that on him. Right. Just my analysis of the situation. I, I just think that he's basically done with uh, hockey at the NHL level. So, um, yeah, that, that's that was my first take. And I don't have a ton to say about Kevin Hayes necessarily. Um, but so, I was going to say, do you, do you know why that I, I included these two guys? That It was odd that they both got announced on this yesterday as far as injuries is these guys were the, both of them were pieces of the Ryan Ellis trade. So oh, Nolan, right. So when they traded, so they received the predators received Philippe Myers and, mm. and uh, Nolan Patrick predators, legend, Nolan Patrick, who was immediately flipped over to Vegas. Um, and then they got, we got you know, Nashville, got Cody glass and then Ryan Ellis went to Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of why it's, it's very odd that they're both being announced on the same day. Um, but you're right. I mean, he Poyle deserves credit. It, it sucks for Ryan Ellis. You know, there were a lot of reports that he was not happy about this trade whatsoever. He signed his his deal a few years back, expecting to retire a Nashville Predator. Um, obviously, if this injury had been a problem, I mean, he got four games into the season last year before he was he was out, and now he's going to be out again. They said it's a hip and ab. It's like a compound thing. In the last couple months, it's actually gotten a little worse. 
Um, and, and there's been reports that he's, you know, he's not been happy, not, I mean, obviously, but it's been really rough on him because he's just not able to play. He had to kind of uproot his family to go. Um, so it's a little rough, you know, and it's hard to see that, that him, guy like him, obviously, you know, is getting hurt out for the year. Nolan Patrick, another guy, you hate to see that Philippe Myers is no longer with Nashville, which is probably fine. Um, and so Cody Glass remains the last piece of that. And this is the year that he, you know, Nashville, Nashville gave him a year in the AHL to pull it together. He did exactly that. And so we're going to see if the last leg of this trade can actually pull through. Ever, ever since he got cracked in the outdoor game, Ellis mm-hmm. was just never the same after that. Yeah. Whatever. Forget, wasn't it Ryan Perry? Mm. <laughs> Corey that, Perry, yes. Oh. Corey, Corey Perry. Sorry, Corey Perry. Yeah, you're good. That Ryan, Ryan Ellis, Corey Perry. Uh, that son of a bitch. Corey uh-huh. Perry, dude. Screw that guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ah, man. Well, all right, Peter Ryan Ellis. I hope he's he's not dead, but I hope that he's, you know, he rests easy through this because he's that's tough. That yeah. sucks. Yeah. What does that mean, Brian, for the actual Flyer season, though? Like, how much of a blow is Ryan Ellis's injury for the Flyers? Um. So imagine, imagine you're in a boat, and Uh-oh. a new hole springs up. Mm-hmm. Um. But is the boat already sinking? Yeah. It's there's five, <laughs> six other holes, and the mm-hmm. boat's already at the bottom of it. I mean, the Flyers in a really rough position. Um. You know. What they, else is new? Yes, they made some very questionable decisions on. Well, basically everything the last couple of years, it's, it's, it's really rough. Um, you know, Chuck Fletcher has been under the GM has been under a lot of pressure, um, you know, and it's, it's going to be interesting, but I mean, it's not, you know, him playing would have probably helped. That's why they got him was to be a first pairing defenseman, mm. but I mean, he wasn't going to change the outcome of their season. And, you know, with, with guy, a lot of guys leaving the team last year, you know, um, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be rough for Philadelphia fans and as a as a Dallas Cowboys fan it you know it does not pain me to see the city of Philadelphia uh, upset about sports so but I do hope better for Ryan Ellis at least. There you go. Um, last thing, there's a trade that I like. We're gonna see the Blackhawks. I think we all agree are headed towards a very very rough rebuild and things are about to be really bad in Chicago for You're willing. I think a very long time. Um, and this is something that they're in. They won their cups. They had their run. It was just another one of those where they went way too long. And I mean, it's just going to be bad. But the other thing too, is like, do you want to be bad and still keep your legends? Like there is a path. Like if Jonathan Taze stays in Chicago that does not affect whether or not Chicago is going to be a bad hockey team for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Do you want to keep him there and like just break some more Chicago records, just be someone you can still market to the local fans of like, come see uh, this uh, champion legend as he finishes out uh, whatever is left of his prime on a very bad hockey team that he has only played for his entire career. Or do you have the tough conversation with Taze and you're like, all right, um, this the, the timeline no longer works. Like we're no longer going to be able to put a contender around you while you're here. So if you're okay finishing out with bad hockey uh, for the foreseeable future, we're good with that. We, we know we can be bad with you, which is a ringing endorsement. We know that <laughs> you are not enough to kind of ruin our rebuild here. That being said, 
you're a legend in Chicago. You'll always be a legend in Chicago um, where they just him and Kane. Like it, it's amazing. It's one of those where you feel old, where you realize Taze and Kane are at the age that they are and where the Blackhawks are in their rebuild and just having to go with what they're going through. And then all the other uh, horrible stuff, the front office and everything else did. Um, so there, that, that, there's a lot going on in Chicago. Mm-hmm. That all being said, it's already starting. The rumbles of like, what is, what's going to happen with Taze? Mm-hmm. Brian, if they called Nashville, if they called and were like, hey, are you the least bit interested in a serious cup run? Would you want him on the, would you be willing to give up anything of value for Taze in 2022? Uh, probably not. I think no. center is center is a position that Nashville's got down pretty decently. He carries a 10 and a half million dollar cap hit. This mm. is his last year. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got no movement clause, but last season was, was kind of a regression. I mean, he, he had been above 50 points every season since 2012. Mm. Um, and last, last year he had 12 goals, 25 assists for 39 points in 71 games. So not the kind of numbers you want your t- a $10 million forward to, to give you. Um, I mean, he is a guy, again, he is a legend. Um, but like you said, you know, you've been hearing these talks and, you know, I think Patrick Kane, uh, said something yesterday, uh, about how he's like, you know, trade rumors were just rumors and I'm not going anywhere. I'm here mm. to stay. And I, I made a snarky remark about it in, in our, uh, our links post this morning saying mm. something about rats leaving a sink, sinking ship. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think Chicago for one, I think they're holding out because they know that both these guys could fetch a pretty good return you know come mid-season at the who, do trade you think who do you think is a better return between the two uh patrick kane had a pretty decent season all things considered despite being a garbage human being would he make uh, more sense or yeah that's the uh, that's the other yeah part. he had he had 92 points last season so mm. 26 goals so i mean that's that's nothing to shake a stick at he's in his final year as well uh but you know, it, he, he's obviously going to be the big centerpiece. I'm sure that I know that teams have talked to the uh, the Blackhawks, but I think they've been pretty adamant about standing pat unless someone wants to throw just, you know, players and picks at them uh, at, a, at an obscene rate. Because that's their best bet now is to sell off those types of guys at the deadline and try to build up stuff because they're struggling. They have 10 players in their 23-man roster right now that make under a million dollars. I mean, and then they've got, you know, they've got Kane and Taze who take 10 and a half and Seth, that monster contract they gave to Seth Jones for nine and a half million. So, I mean, it's top heavy, but then there's not much left after that. What do you think, Charlie? I just look at it like if you could get the guy on like the cheap, cheap, which I is not going to be the case. Mm. Maybe I mean the dude is older than PK Subban, and PK Subban mm. just retired. <laughs> so yeah, you gotta start there. Like, how much would you actually get out of him if you actually brought him to this team? I mean, obviously he he's had a more uh, a star-studded career than PK, I guess, or however you want to say that. He's won you know a bunch of cups, whatever. Mm. Um, and so yeah i mean beyond that you're just kind of i don't want to say you'd be picking up dead weight but you'd be nearly picking up dead weight so i i say no lean into these young guys that's kind of just how i'm feeling now you're really they're burning it down and rebuilding without burning it down and rebuilding in nashville right now i i in my personal opinion and if they're not thinking that that's what they should be thinking you know drain everything you can out of forsberg and johansson and everybody and then let's get these young guys 
going and kind of go from there. That just in my personal feeling about the roster at the moment, that's where I'd be going because you have some nice dudes in the pipeline that we've already been talking about. And mm-hmm. so, eh, skip it. That's my. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right dead on about having younger players or guys you don't need these big established vets. But, you know, Nashville also could have bolstered their roster with the cap space they have by picking up some guy like Evan Rodriguez, who's practicing with the Avalanche right now on their first line at two and a half million dollars. So I don't know. I'm not salty about that. Mm. But, you know, those are the types of guys I think that you think the Predators would be much more. uh, It's better. They'd be better off because, again, you're not making a huge, you know, Nashville has taken on some big contracts in the past that have not panned out. We're still paying Mm. for Kyle Turris. Um, The man's going to get get paid for quite some time now. So, you know, it's 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 interesting. And and, but, yeah, I think Tay's, you know, I like him as a player. Um, I'd have to have a serious conversation with myself and my you know, a heart to heart with myself if they <laughs> traded for Patrick Kane, because I'd really I don't think I could handle that personally. Um, so but I mean, these are the guys that, you know, if you're on the end of a playoff push and you can get them to retain, you know, halfway through the season at five million, they can retain four or something, I guess. But, you know, we'll see if it gets to that point. The Evan Rodriguez thing makes me more angry at David Poyle <laughs> than last season. Mm-hmm. And like the embarrassment that that ended with just getting shellacked in every single part of the game by the avalanche like him. Cause that's, that's the whole thing. Like you can have a team that's not getting it done, but if you turn around and you make moves that are really helping that team, you can kind of win me back. And you mm-hmm. like, you look at that and you go, dude, Mm-hmm. Not only did you not get this guy, you let him go to the team that kicked your ass up and down the ice in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like, what are you doing? What yeah. are you doing, dude? Uh, that, oh my gosh, man. I, I now, t- honestly, I take back the credit I gave Poiler. <laughs> I, I take it all back. He's already in the reversal. Charlie's back. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 funny because it's it's funny because like I don't think there was anybody. I may have been maybe the only person beating the drum for Rodriguez because like the, the the roster's fine for what it was, and yeah. and it's you know it would have been interesting to see where he fit in. But you know, welcome to 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 my world of hockey where I you know. There's a guy that really jumps out on the stats and the charts, and then I fall in love with them, and then I get obsessed, and eventually it breaks my heart. So, yeah. Well, it's also like go. it's not the people who are like, oh, it's fine. But hold on, this was a team that had to scrape and claw and make the playoffs this past year, and the team that wiped them off the face of the earth just signed that person that you really wanted. There might be something to it. There might be something we're missing here. This is not a roster that's like, oh, we're ready to go. Like this yeah. is fine. Everything's great yeah so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be something but hey new season optimism abound like this is uh this is a good time you got cookouts coming preseason hockey you got double headers preds hockey is i mean real games i mean mm-hmm. we're what less than a month now uh from real hockey yeah actually that those games those games that supposedly are supposed to happen in the czech republic are the first two regular season games of the season i may have said preseason earlier and i apologize for that mm-hmm. but yeah those two are the first two games and then the home openers on the 13th on the thursday against the dallas stars so it'll be real fun to, to watch you get two games in a row and then a whole week of nothing or, or four days of nothing before the the third game of the year so get out there if they're doing these practices if you guys get a chance to go see those monday you stop by you know, come by and say hi. I'm more than happy. I'll be there covering the team with a bunch of other p- folks. So come by and I'll be glad to meet you. There you go. Charlie, what can the good folks check out from you over at A to Z Sports this week? 
Tennessee Florida game on Saturday. I'm horrified. We'll see what happens. Uh, but me, former Vols quarterback Jonathan Crompton, talking at halftime, talking post. I love the phrasing there. Me, former volunteer quarterback. Uh, the, the way that started was like me, Charlie Burris. Uh, people forget uh, former Tennessee Volunteers quarterback. Um, uh, you you might have missed it, but I used I definitely used to be well, a quarterback. I, I, watching, Don't look it up. Don't uh, maybe look that Shuler and in uh, some mop up time and he, but yeah, he backed yeah. up uh, 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 Willie Bohannon and stuff. Yeah, so. exactly. You mm-hmm. just, you just it just like it's not well remembered in the yeah. you know the annals of Tennessee football. But uh, no, me me and Jonathan Crompton will be uh, talking talking balls. Hopefully, we are talking about a victory. Please, dear God, I need it so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going I'm going down to campus right now gonna go there see go. apparently kids are like camping out for college game day gonna go see what the deal is there um are you doing interviews what are you doing you're just going to no, like dude, what? i i like to just go and just like kind of get in the action you know okay I, I used to do that when i used to live in downtown and it was in those like 2015 2016 years when you know we were still playing in some decent games you just go mm-hmm. down you know check out the buzz see what's <laughs> see what's happening and me i it would kind of probably be cool to do some like man mm-hmm. on the street uh yeah interviews See how see how people are feeling. Uh, Pull a Bruce Pearl. Bring him some pizza. Oh God, dude! I did a radio show in Jackson this morning, Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, and uh, and the guy on there, uh, he was like, "Who's the guest picker going to be? Bruce Pearl?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> probably not. No, it's not going to be Bruce Pearl. Uh, <laughs> Who is the celebrity picker? Do we know? They no, I, uh, they haven't. We know it's not going to be yet. Bill Dance. It's not Bill Dance." Mm-hmm. we Breaking do know that brian confirmed that one yeah i i, I well i i mean i i the the one that made the most sense to me because he just is like the most famous tennessee fan right now is morgan wallen but i i haven't heard any hmm. traction about that and i know it's very split between tennessee fans there's the ones that like totally love him there's one that hates him because all the stuff that's happened so yeah. i don't i don't know i haven't heard anything so We'll yeah. Dolly, is Dolly. She available? Dolly, dude, Dolly is completely. She plays that neutrality card. She's yeah. like the the Michael Jordan Republican <laughs> by sneakers too, man. She doesn't. She's well, like, no, I'm not playing. On, Dolly favorites. is like the most universal high approval rating where it doesn't matter. Like that's what I've told people. Where I'm like, you go to you go to Dollywood, you see every kind of folk yeah. rock and Dolly mm-hmm. stuff. Where you're like, nobody brings people together like Dolly Parton. Like yeah, I can't imagine it. A- that's got to be the best one. I mean, they could go Kenny Chesney again, but I really Ooh. hope they don't. Yeah. Ooh. Hopefully not. Oh. Could it be Peyton now that Mac no. on it? And Ma- could it be Peyton? I th- he okay. So he seems likely because also I was going to say Peyton he, feels right here because he's doing that show for ESPN now. Omaha is the- like really embedded in ESPN. He's super yeah. tight with McAfee. I see. I want. Yeah, I I could see that. Otherwise, a lot of people have been pushing for Tony V. Mm. like hello which would be awesome yeah yes um, yes picker my concho yes there you go dude please Vitello uh, would be a big it would be like a more personal pull uh than than us i don't, I don't know he's uh, so he's so likable and cool like oh yeah I, he's he, didn't he say this morning his only plan this weekend is to not get arrested yes i mean yeah. shout out to Vitello. dude he's so awesome man i i would love that i i don't know who it would be i mean dolly would be like the best. It's not gonna be Dolly though. She just not doing she it. doesn't do that stuff. Man. Yeah, she just does not. Mm-hmm. She's net neutral. All right, re- uh, uh, really quick, I'm gonna give my score prediction, and, and yeah. I may come back and rue this. I'm saying 38 28. 
Well, you were mad at me when I said Pitt was Tennessee was going to blow up Pitt, and you tweeted at me. And <sighs> I'm standing by that take where Tennessee should have won that game by three touchdowns. The way that game yeah. went, like just the muff punt, the dumb mistakes were like Tennessee, uh, what was it, four straight scoring drive, three TDs, and a field goal where it was like this should have turned into a blowout. And Tennessee just completely imploded them in the second half. Like that should have been a three touchdown win. I will maintain that Tennessee was a three touchdown team better, a better team than Pitt. Well, uh, the thing that I was mostly referencing was the fact that you had said that the Pitt game was going to be the harder game than Florida. Still which, believe that. I still okay. believe that. I think I'm, that could end up being true. Yeah. I'm really trying. I, my 38-28 is, is me just trying to dig out all of the years of lost optimism that have been just sitting in the darkness of my soul for all these years now. And I'm going to say I'm going to do it because... I'm see, gonna Florida scores 28 that means like Tennessee threw like a pick six or Tennessee fumbled on their own one like I just don't see this offense being able to drive down the field four times they it's like that. dragged themselves yes. to 31 points against USF I mean it mm. was a struggle now I so, mean Tennessee dragged themselves against Pitt in that second half I mean just barely and so but I I said I mean my choice was Florida mm. wins I've said my across the board I'm a Tennessee loses to Florida until they don't that's my Okay. I explained it all on the podcast this week, but uh, so I'm they they haven't given me a compelling enough reason to change that policy. But if mm-hmm. everything goes as it sits on paper, Tennessee's going to win this game like forty five to twenty one. I think like that's what I'm saying. Like if you remove Florida, Tennessee, and you knew nothing about this history, and you remove the names and everything else, and you just look at the matchups, and you look at well, I would actually take it down a little bit because Tillman's out. It looks like Cedric Tillman is not he's, going. To yeah, play. I don't think he's going to play. That is a bummer and i think that is a big big change for hinden hooker who has targeted this man 30 percent uh 33 of his uh throws to this point like that's he, he, bad except i i think they're i think they'll just plug and play though i think they they go brew mccoy slides over yes. extremely similar Ooh. physically to mm. cedric tillman hyatt stays where he is and then they plug in ramel keaton i like or something like squirrel white or somebody and they just they throw that in there and i think hypel just goes like we're doing exactly what what we were already doing and it's just as effective. Well, he I, just gets the Jamel, uh, the uh, Javante Payton treatment from last year, where it's like, yeah. it, it, what? It doesn't really matter who that third receiver is. Like, exactly. it's just going to be Jalen Hyatt and Brew McCoy all the time. Like, they just, you miss Payton uh, unless he's scoring a touchdown. That man was only touchdowns and uh, getting cardio. That was uh, <laughs> that was his job. Uh, Tillman should not have been in the game at that point. Neither should have Hooker. But Well, no, that was early. Tillman got hurt it early. Like, it was like the second quarter. Yeah. Still should- and it's it was a Tillman. friendly fire. Dylan Sampson on a speed option. Like it, it was what well, it wasn't. It wasn't though, because that hit by that defender was unnecessary. He mm. was, he was going out of bounds. Yeah. And that defender just freaking trucked him. Didn't Tillman he, tweet after it. Didn't he say just dirty? Was that all? He yeah. Tweeted? What did yeah. he say? I think it he was tweeted. Yeah. Akron was being dirty. That whole, they were, they were launching a dude's knees that didn't have the football. Like that was, yeah. it was bad, mm. dude. Well, you know, we're going to see by the time I get to Bridgestone on Monday or practice on Centennial on Sunday, I'm either going to be super hyped or I'm going to be down and depressed in a, in a grumpy Gus all day. But I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to be there. And again, my apologies to all you guys who don't care about Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> no, they know. This right is here the local the hour. Like, they know, know yeah. that this is the local hour. This is all Tennessee, all Preds, all Atlanta. That's that's the deal. Um, yeah. You're getting that with us. Um, I don't know. I just they better win big. That's what I want. I don't want this to be close because I'm going to lose my shit if it's like seven to six going into the fourth quarter. I but just think, I can't handle it. Think about what what has excited me is that I think a big win is possible 
mm. like a 21 point win is possible. What that would do like for this program. I think the most every recruit in them, like the Tennessee, like everyone is here, like a beat down of yeah. Florida would be gigantic in front and, of all those games. And I could see it because I, I think if you, if you beat their head in early, like you mm. really come out and you get up 14 zero. And then by the end of the third quarter, it's 35 to 20. Mm -hmm. I think you end up winning that game 48 to 20. Mm -hmm. And then it just looks incredibly impressive, even though it's probably, you know, it was a one touchdown, two touchdown game until the end of the third. And then you blew, blew the doors wide open in that fourth quarter. Cause Florida just goes, look, we're losing this. We're not coming back in this game. We're phoning it in and you blow them away right there at the end. Like I, I could see that as possible. I think the most, if you did a, a pos, uh, what do you call it? A, you know, a, parabola for most likely to least likely whatever yeah. i'm not a math guy uh but i think your most parabola likely outcome is a, mm. a <laughs> your most likely outcome is like a close win i think for tennessee mm. i think my choice is is a less likely outcome for florida winning but that's what's happened in years past tennessee's been the better team and then the least the lesser likely outcome happens um and then I think that blowout is on the exact opposite of the lesser likely things to happen, but it is a real possibility. Please do it. It would yeah. be so nice. 10 Just and a half points. South, South Carolina game last year, run these boys off the field. Just smash them. I will Please. say this, knowing how this season is going and how this team is built. If Tennessee was to lose Saturday, I'd be willing to put money that they beat Alabama or Georgia. Like, you know, mm. put the, put the, I mean, I still think that's happening either way. I, well, I think it's happening either I, way. I can't, I don't think I can agree with you so far on that one, but mm. it's just, that's how it would be is they'll, they might lose one or two games that would kind of kick them out of contention. And then they'd go and have a huge win of even bigger one. But you know, that's just, that's me being a cynic. So, Hey, it's fair. It's well-earned Tennessee. Like everyone has said. They have to, <laughs> history is told another story and yeah. until they do it and they shake it off. It just, it is what it is. Charlie Burris, Brian Baston, thank you as always, my good friends. Mm -hmm. And I will talk to you next week. See you around. See you later. All right. The local hour here on the Chase Most Podcast continues on after a week away with a wedding, with a broken foot, with this, that, and the other here uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Garrett Chapman of 99 The Game, Dopey Millennials, all that good stuff is here to walk through the Atlanta Falcons, who I uh, caught up on uh, both times. I haven't watched a game live yet. Maybe one day this season I'll watch a Falcons game live. But I keep just, I mean, this uh, past week with the Rams, and I, I was, part of me was like, do I just, do I just move on with my dad? Like, do I, do I just, is this just over? Is this just a really bad one? And then of course the Falcons come all the way back just to come up aggressively short. And this is an aggressively hurtful team this year. Oh, yeah. Um, And look, it doesn't make it much better that like Matt Ryan is having the season from hell and just really, really bad uh, thus far in Indianapolis. I think they're like 31st in DVOA. It's this bad. Point titans are 32nd um i mean falcons are zero and two and this is one of the more absurd zero and two starts i've ever seen uh the falcons and really any nfl team have like through two weeks garrett chapman how are you feeling about the falcons 
pretty much how I thought I was going to feel. I mean, I, I expect Do you really feel the same as what you thought coming into the year? Kind of, yeah. I mean, I because I, hmm. I, I, I was never going to judge this team by the amount of wins it had. Uh, I was going to judge this team by what I saw on the field and what they put on tape. And the ironic thing is this team is super close to being 2-0. Like that's mm-hmm. how that's that's a weird thing that I did not expect would be the case. Uh, maybe it's because the New Orleans Saints are a bit of fool's gold. Maybe that's what mm-hmm. it is. Maybe the same thing about the Rams. I'm not really all that high on the Rams just in general, but that's a different conversation for a different time. But the point is, it's like that's the difference between being a winning football team in the NFL and not being a winning football team in the NFL. It's it's measured. It's a distance by of that much, you know, and. I think if one or two plays goes your way in that Rams game in that fourth quarter, one more play, like say Marcus Mariota makes the the proper read and he throws to Drake London, the back right side of the end zone, we're looking at a one and one team. If we look mm-hmm. at a team that that doesn't completely collapse and not everything goes wrong in that fourth quarter against the Saints, you're looking at a two and O team. That's how close this team is. So, no, I'm not saying that this team is is better or worse than I expected. They're as far as the win loss record is concerned, they're exactly what I thought they'd be. The offensive line, though, has been a bit of a pleasant surprise. It's, it's kind of a, a weird way to say that. I think that has a little bit to do with Marcus Mariota being a little bit more mobile in the pocket and being able to move a bit more than Matt Ryan was. And I mean, hell, we've seen that at, in Indianapolis with Matt Ryan just falling over. Uh, but Look, I think this team is, is fine. Like they're they're in good shape. I think they I think they could go get a win this weekend up in Seattle. Um, but I, I've taken a couple positives, mainly Drake London and, and the progression of his offensive line. I'm not ready to panic about what we're seeing with these the t- the lack of targets for for um, um oh man um Kyle Pitts Kyle Pitts I just blanked mm-hmm. on his name for a split second. I have so many names floating through my head. I'm, I'm jumping from college football to high school football to everything else. Mm, it's okay. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, no, but I'm not freaking out over that yet because you have a, an all-rookie sensation in Drake London who's taken the sport by storm, playing really good football. The Kyle Pitt stuff is weird. Um, he has not graded well. I have this up in front of me. He is, uh, where did it just go? Uh, 42nd of 50 among qualifying tight ends uh, to this point. And... Arthur Smith got really testy about the Kyle Smith targets and talking about the fantasy football stuff. And it's not fantasy football. Okay. <laughs> Arthur Smith. Um, I still think he's probably a good coach. I think Drake London being awesome right out of the gate. That's, that's good. That's a positive. You can look at that. Like that is just the separate thing that they hit on. The other part of that is, well, every rookie receiver is basically a hit right now. George Pickens had a bonkers catch down the sideline. Uh, you just like Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson looks was like wild. A star in the Jets. Yeah. Like most of the guys are just performing well. So it's basically just been whoever you picked, you were probably going to do okay, uh, no matter who you did. We now are two years of evidence of just like, uh, this is kind of weird. If you're going to take use the fourth pick on this player... I mean, you're starting out really out of the gate with Drake London making an impact and really targeting him and really prioritizing him in the offense. Kyle Pitts, I mean, it, it's just, it, I I wonder too where it's just, is it partly that they haven't won, that they're 0-2, 
and that some fans are just like, well, you got to target Kyle Pitts. It's like, you watch the game. It's not like the offense was the reason that, uh, and not targeting Kyle Pitts was the reason they lost both those games. And I get what Arthur Smith is saying is that like, there is more to it. You can't just be like, all right, we got to make sure we get our 11 targets for Kyle Pitts to validate taking him number four overall. We have to make sure we hit this uh, arbitrary number. There is the other side of like, well, I mean, young players and young receivers and young tight ends are making an immediate impact in this league and are being targeted a lot early all across the league. And if you're going to use that much draft capital on a tight end, you had to have thought that he was going to be someone who had a high record of production right out of the gate, that he was a special tight end at number four that you were going to do a lot of stuff with. And it really just means that maybe Arthur Smith wasn't the one who was like, we should take a tight end at number four. Maybe it was a Terry Fontenot call, and he's like, I, uh, I mean, if you want to, but I, my offense is not going to do it. I don't know. Like, I, It's still really early, but it is fair to be like, what are you doing with Kyle Pitts at this point? Like, That is, that is a fair question to have. I think it's fair to some extent for this season, but this is a guy who had a thousand yards receiving last year as a rookie. Mm. I'm not ready to say anything positive, negative, whatever. He has a new quarterback. I mean, look, Drake London's getting a high volume, and I think that's fantastic. It's also a completely different position, so I don't even want to compare those two because it's not an apples-to-apples comparison Mm. Um, because Kyle Pitts has other responsibilities that Drake London just doesn't have. Uh, That's just the nature of being a tight end in the National Football League. That it is what it is. And I don't think that we are in position to compare him to other wide receivers, like, or not wide receivers, other tight ends, like a Mark Andrews or a Travis Kelsey, who mm-hmm. are in their late 20s with established MVP quarterbacks. That's who we're comparing him to. And I think that's a disservice to to both Marcus Mariota and, and the, this Falcons offense and Kyle Pitts himself. Um, I, I mean, Look, Kaderil Hodge being second on this team in receiving is a little weird. I think that's he's been good, though. He's been good. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I think it will regress to the mean, and I think we're going to start seeing that stuff sooner rather than later. I, I don't think he's going to throw to Kyle Pitts just to throw to Kyle Pitts, but at the, at, the, at the same time, it's like you have a guy who's a bona fide mismatch. He's, he's a mismatch on everybody he plays, whether it's his size on a cornerback or his speed on a linebacker throw the ball up to him every now and then. So it's like, I think that's part of it. Just the building relationship with Marcus Mariota. Um, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's, maybe it is the scheme. They're not scheming him open. I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily the case because you're going to make plays for Kyle Pitts and you're going to make sure that he gets the ball. I just want to see him get the ball a little bit more, but I think that's going to start coming as the season goes along. I, I think the fact that you have uh, a, it was just the type of team that you were playing. Maybe that had a role to do with it, but, I'm not ready to, to hit the overreact button or even just the react button at this point in the season on much of anything like that as far as utilization is concerned. Because, I mean, you look elsewhere, you look at the running back position, you look at Cordero Patterson, he's taken a very large role. I don't think he's going to maintain what he's doing right now for the rest of the season. I think I've, I've said on this podcast numerous times, I think Tyler Algier is going to take a larger role. And- BJ Baylor in the building. We got to get BJ, my guy, BJ Baylor in the building, <laughs> the, the Oregon state beef. I uh, got to get him in there to f- take over that quiz Rogers role yeah. of uh, yesteryear. No. And I looked, I, I think that that position is going to continue to, to unfold, you know, I, and we're going to continue to see things as the season goes on. I, cause I don't think that this team is going to be judged on the win loss record. I'll say it again. I, I think that this not. team, I, I hope Arthur not. Smith better, if, not. If, 
if our, if they're being judged on the win loss percentage this year, I think they're in very rough shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the same roster that, that was ranked 32nd in the NFL. I think this is not the 32nd team in the NFL. I think it's probably closer to 24, 25. Uh, but they haven't shown it on the field yet. They've looked good at times and they've looked downright miserable at others. I mean, Marcus Mario is the perfect example. He just he looked like the number two overall pick at times. And then others, he looks like a journeyman quarterback. So I think the number one thing that this team really needs is just building up that consistency. I just don't think the talent's there yet, but that's not the point. I mean, the point is it's going to continue to progress and they're going to get better, I think, because I, th- I still believe in Arthur Smith. I think Cordero is still here to stay. I don't know. He's just a full-time running back. I would oh, he's expect a stud. him to continue to being one of the best running backs in this sport for the year. Like, I don't know how many years he's got on this. Like, it might just be one or two more years. This might just be it. I'm not expecting a drop off from Cordell and the run blocking has been, been great uh, this year. It is interesting that you bring up the optimal. Like, like I wonder how much of it is just Marcus Mario getting out. Cause like Caleb McGarry is not graded. Well, Jake Matthews is graded out average. Eliza Wilkinson has been one of the worst guards in football. Uh, Chris Lindstrom has been a star. Like that's been one where they've been okay. There true. Dahlman's been bad too. You look at it and you're like, okay, this, this is weird. I don't really know why it's going the way it is, but it is. Uh, Brian Edwards is out there getting cardio. He's not uh, not been good. He needs to be tough. You cannot get beat like he did against uh, against Jalen Ramsey in that. Yeah, there's just no excuse that you get bodied like that. When when you're when you have the game on the line, you got to go in there and do something. You know that 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 was irritated that irritated the hell out of me. But it's like the thing thing with Cordell Patterson though. The thing I was saying with Cordell Patterson, it's like it's not Mm. that he's he's not going to be the dude on this offense. He's probably the most important player on this offense. I just don't think he's going to be a 200. I think he, I just did the math. He's on pace for 275 carries right now. He's not getting 275 no. carries. That's more what I'm saying. He's more mm. of like 150, 200. So who is that next dude who's going to come in? I think it could be a combination of Marcus Mariota. If he stays healthy in Tyler Algier, mm. that's all I was saying there, but yeah, I don't know. We'll Frustrating. see. I mean, is it a positive sign though, the way they're losing? Like, is there a way to spin this of like, there's a fight, they go to Los Angeles, they get back down in a big hole and yeah. they fight all the way back just to lose. They are up on a New Orleans team that we're now just like, I don't know what to do with New Orleans at this point. Um, and like the defense is legit with New Orleans, but they're off. And so like, the, I think I had the, yeah. So the Falcons are 12th in offensive DVOA. That is the best in the NFC South to this point. Right now, uh, the pan, uh, the Colts, who we talked about with Matt Ryan, 31st in offensive DVOA. The Bucks, who have struggled mightily with their offense, they're 27th. New Orleans is 25th. Carolina's 23rd. It's really weird, but I mean, the offense has not been the problem with the Falcons. Like, they fought hard, and I mean, they're able to move the ball. They have weapons. They have guys. It's just not complete. Like that's just something you jot down. It's just like they're they're not complete. The Brian Edwards spot, the backup to uh, relieve Cordero Patterson, the quarterback spot, obviously, uh, more depth just in general at the receiver spot. Um, they're just not all the way complete, but they have enough pieces where I think this scheme and this system is working with lesser talent. And I kind of think they've actually kind of played above their heads a little bit. But we also may have learned the Rams just might not be that good. The Rams might be a couple injuries away from being a really, really bad football team because they're just so, so, so top heavy that like, I don't, I don't know. I, 
I don't know what to make of the Falcons. I just know they're going to lose a lot of football games, but I do think it is something that they're coming back on the road and making a game of it, even if it was excruciating the way they lost this game once again. Oh, yeah. No, I, I have major positives to take from it. I, I mean, let me just put this out here. There are no, There's no such thing as moral victories in the NFL or professional sports in general. There's just no such thing. But to some extent, it's like there's something that you can take from every game. And what mm. I'm taking is that this team is greater than the sum of its parts. And I think that's, that's kind of what you were saying there just a second ago. Mm. Where do they rank in the DVOA on defense? Uh, they are 24th. Okay, so that's progress. That's progress. I mean, for a young defense, that's Take on Graham's good. There's a little bit of a pass rush there. I mean, hey, man, they're on the pace linebackers for have been sacks. fine. They're on pace for 40 sacks. Yeah, that's take, what I don't. You say that. I'm taking that to the bank. I'm ta- I'm sorry. I'm cashing that yeah. check. I'm, I'm like going. The pass oh, rush man. being good is weird. See, but that's the thing. It's like, look, if you told me that we were going to have an above average offense and mm-hmm. a right around average defense, check, check. I'll take that. Yeah. No, no question. I don't care what our. I don't care for zero two. We'll go. We'll fool out, fool around, and and fall backwards into a win or two. I don't, I don't care about that. Like I look, show improvement from last year. This is not a Super Bowl team. So. Go and find out where your holes are and then go plug those holes. And I think that's what they're doing right now because we're learning where those weaknesses are. We need that number two wide receiver. We need some more help at center. We need help at pass rush. We need help in certain places. I mean, just go find those spots and you need a new quarterback. Like that's just like Marcus Marriott is fine. He's fine. He's not going to be a playoff quarterback. So you, you go answer those questions and just find out where those questions are and then go get them answered. It sounds easy, but <laughs> it's just, that's kind of what the beauty of this season is because I think everybody's fully on board with the fact that this is not a championship level team. I, I think that's, or even just a playoff team. So that's one of the beauties of being in the situation rather than like, say, look where the Titans are. They're another Owen two team, but they're not in the luxury of saying, Hey, well, we have another year where we can figure all of these things out. So, I don't know. I, I think the Falcons are in a fine place. I'm not disheartened by what I saw. I got frustrated with what I've seen the last two weeks, just as a fan. Mm-hmm. But as somebody who's like, see, if you look at the big picture, there's a lot to get excited about for the Atlanta Falcons. I think so. I, and I think in the last thing in the pits thing, this is all that Arthur Smith needs to look at. And like, you have to understand number one in offensive DVOA for tight ends, Travis Kelsey, Dallas Goddard, uh, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller, and uh gerald everett those are all high profile high acquisitions whether through free agency or in the draft like they're the point is if you get a unicorn like that at that position then most teams especially the good ones end up targeting that person just throwing the football to all four of those guys i mean you got jalen hurts it's not like jalen, i mean jalen hurts has had a great start of the year you have lamar jackson and that i mean you have Derek carr you've got justin herber you got uh patrick Mahomes. i get that part of it all of those all of those Tua, are top like, 16 quarterbacks almost yeah. all of the almost all of those are top 16 quarterbacks mm-hmm. marcus Mariota would be lucky to be top 25 so i'm not saying it's all marcus Mariota's fault i'm not saying that yeah. i'm saying that has that he talked has about it at all who marcus yeah they asked him directly I haven't seen a quote. I haven't seen a yeah. quote. I can look for one. I, I don't know. I I haven't heard him say they wouldn't have asked either. Him. That's an interesting question that they would that would they would have asked him. Mm-hmm. Just as a starting quarterback, you probably you're gonna get asked this question. So 
Um, I'll take a look. I'll, I'll look and see if I can find anything. I'm just, I guess we can figure that out offline. But um, I mean, Mariota has not been the problem though. Like Mariota has been fine. Like if he yeah. plays like he has the last two weeks, then like, I think you have to play him the whole year. Ooh, you, you have to play him. He's playing well enough mm-hmm. that you have to play him. Saying he hasn't been the problem. He's been the problem a few times. Look, I, I think they lost the Saints game. At the end of the game, they lost the game because of Marcus Mariota. It was his mm-hmm. fault. I blame him for that game. Yeah. Um, but also because, I blame the well, defense he has the not fumble. getting a stop. Well, yeah. He has the fumble on yeah. in the red zone because his quote after the game, he says, "Oh, I didn't realize that. Or I didn't realize where we were on the fault on the like uh, where on the line of like where the line to gain. That was not. He great. thought he was still going for a first down. That's why he fumbled. And it's like, dude, you're a five year veteran in the National Football. You have to know where the line to gain is and go down. But then he also fell down on a fourth and inches. And you fumble the snap on third and yeah. one. What are you doing? Like, yeah. it just blows my mind. So you can't do those two things. And then his quotes after the game. So the first one, he says he didn't know where the line to gain was. That's yeah, that why he fumbled the football. The other one, he got he saw the matchup that they wanted, and he got excited. Mm. He got too excited and fumbled the snap. It's like, dude, that's a guy who just doesn't have composure. So no, I blame him completely for those losses. Not completely. I, I blame. I put a lot of blame on the shoulders of the quarterback, which generally speaking, the quarterback's going to shoulder a lot of blame. But those two quotes really personify the frustrations that I've had with Marcus Mariota specifically. But the way he's played, he's played well enough that, and I can mark a lot of those New Orleans things up to rust and things like that. But I, he's played well enough that he has to be your starter. I, I, I there's, he hasn't done anything that's so mind numbing that you have to put in Desmond Ritter. So, which which is pretty much what I expected from Marcus Mariota, barring an injury. I he's middle of the pack to back of the pack as far as production is concerned. He's been fine. He's been fine. And he's getting the ball to Drake London. They have a connection clearly like those two. They, they have a familiarity in the West good. coast, man. Yeah. The, the West coast offense. I mean, Drake London, I don't know. No, I'm like, saying like you have Oregon versus in us. Yeah. 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 I know. And Alliance, I guess. I just, <laughs> I wonder too, like, do you see the comparisons already starting a little bit with people? Cause like Falcons obviously drafted Julio and this all time great. Like, do you know, like, do you see any similarities with the two of them? Do you see anything two, that Drake they have in London common or, Drake or... London and Julio? Well, yeah, they're big bodied receivers who have very yeah. wide catch radiuses and they, they, you throw it to them and then they're a vacuum cleaner and they suck it in. <laughs> I'm not going to say that they're necessarily, this, they're not the same player. Um, mm. Julio is more of a freak. It's just like physically, just because, I mean, he's significantly faster than Drake mm. London. I think he ran a, what, a 4 2, 4 3 40 on a broken foot. Speaking of breaking, broken feet. Sure. He ran 4 3 40 on a broken foot. And that's incredible. So Drake London couldn't do that completely healthy. Mm-hmm. Right? Just is what it is. I mean, and that's just Julio. And I don't think it's necessarily fair to compare anybody to Julio Jones or, or like a Calvin Johnson or any of those other physical freaks. But Drake London's a big bodied receiver and he can, he's very versatile. Um, I think he shares that with Julio Jones. Julio Jones could do a lot of different things. He can run every route in the route tree. And I think Drake London's kind of like that. He just doesn't have that top end speed that Julio does. 
Yeah. Well, the other thing too with that uh, foot fracture, by the way, same foot um, that he ended up being missed for the remainder of the 2013 season. I like yeah. that. I was like, I think it, that had to be the same foot, and that's what has me freaked out. Garrett is if you break the break it once, you're significantly more likely to break it again. It's terrifying. I don't know how the run stuff is going to work uh, going forward. I don't know. I, I think I'm not. I'm not panicking about anything like that, though. I, I think the he's in good shape as far as like trainers and everything else. So I, I, I haven't heard anything to, to really freak me out yet. So I'm going to hold out hope. Um, when you look up to this week against the Seahawks, what about this matchup excite you the most? And how do you think uh, this weekend goes? Cause I, I think the Falcons win this game. I think this I is one too. of their wins. I, I think that the Seahawks played their Super Bowl week one. And now that ru- the rust bus is completely left the building. I think, it's going to be hard for them to get up for this game. And I think that the Falcons really want to leave this game with a win. Uh, so I, I would be very, I would actually, I'm on the, the sideline of being surprised if the Falcons lose this game. I, I think they mm-hmm. can kind of, they can ride the wave of last week, staying out there on the West coast uh, and just continuing the progression from last week. If they do that, which I mean, I, I think they can, then I think they win this game. Um, the noise is always going to be a factor the the 12th man always shows up over there in Seattle, but I don't think it's going to be that big of an impact on this game necessarily um, because this is a, that's a bad Seahawks team. And I, you have DK Metcalf, Lockett. I mean, you have these guys on the outside who are going to push our, our, our cornerbacks, but I think they'll be fine for the most part. Um, there's, there's really nothing that gets me super excited about this matchup. I wouldn't say, but outside of the fact that I think that the Falcons could win this football game because they're, they're finally playing a team that's equally as not talented as they are. But I think they are, I, I think that they can get, I, I think they have the mismatch. So I, I think they can win this football game just, just by virtue of the, the Seahawks not being able to get up for the game. What is your favorite matchup to watch in the Seahawks game? I want to see DK Metcalf and AJ Terrell. I, that's one thing that I'm hmm. really interested to see. Someone else who has not graded well out of the gate. AJ he hasn't Terrell. played that well. I don't think mm-hmm. I'm not ready to hit the panic panic button on him either because he's played against two all pro wide receivers in his first two weeks, two guys who hold NFL records in the first two weeks. Uh, people forgot that Michael Thomas existed for some reason, but um, he is the NFL record holder for receptions in a season. And everyone just seemed to forget that. But um, look, he, he faced those two guys and he's got another big test this week with DK Metcalf. And I want to see how he responds. And he's, like you said, I mean, he's kind of struggled this year. Um, I, I think he can continue to turn around and and be that guy who can be an island. But look, with Lockett on the other side, you're really not going to have a lot of lu- a, a luxury to, to really have a lot of safety help. So I, I don't think Geno's necessarily the guy who's going to push you all that much. But still, having a big-bodied wide receiver like DK Metcalf is going to be very difficult to defend. And I think we're going to learn a little bit more about AJ Terrell this weekend. And I'm excited to see that. What do you think the Falcons do best against the Seahawks? What gives you the best rationale? Which matchup do you think the Falcons will be able to exploit the most? Um, I think that I think the rushing attack is going to have a little bit of success this week. And where where do the Seahawks rank officially in the DVOA and defense? Um, pull that back up. Where did that go? They are. I know they're in the back half. They are. 
number 25, 25. right about right literally right behind the falcons okay so that's pretty much where i expected them to be i mean you look at the 49ers the 49ers found a little bit of success with backup running backs um they are ninth in, in rush dvoa by the yeah, way but in i think defensive but, view. yeah but that's something the, the, the 49ers have pass. a little bit more success um mm-hmm. and i think that if the falcons can potentially get the rushing rushing attack going i think then that's really going to do something good for them um, because I mean, that's what Arthur Smith, that's his MO. Like that's something he's always wanted to do he's, he wants to establish the run and run the ball effectively. And I think that this is, I mean, the Seahawks rush rushing defense has actually been a little bit better than I expected it. Um, I didn't think it was going to be that high. Um, mm. but Javante Williams and, and, um, what's his face? Melvin Gordon, mm. they kind of struggled to get that, that rushing attack going. I don't know if that was just a little bit more to do with Russell Wilson's inability to really get going at home. I think he had that mental hurdle. That's a tough mm. first game for, for a guy who's like as emotional as, as Russell Wilson is. So I, I kind of factor a lot of that in, into there, um, just the emotions of Russell Wilson. But look, Jeff Wilson was able to find a little bit of success, 14, 4.7 yards per carry last week. Uh, I, I think that Cordero Patterson can probably come in and make an impact on this game. Um, so I really want to see that from the offense. And Marcus Mariota, how does he deal with that noise early in the game? Does Is he fold under that pressure? I, I don't think he will. I hope he doesn't. Um, but look, I, I think this is going to be a, an interesting game, at least for Falcons fans, but probably nobody outside of Seattle or Atlanta are really going to care about this one. Yeah. The the new means for football outsiders too is uh, 6.7 wins uh, for the Falcons this year. That's over hmm. what it was. It's true. I'll take that. That means the team's outperforming its, its talent. And that's a yes. good sign. That's a good sign. So, I mean, it's right around where I pegged. I pegged this team as like a five-win team. Um, and looking at it now, I think that's I think they can pull a sixth out. But this is one of those games that I I expect the team to win. And it's like, look, I mean, if you're the better football team, which I'm not going to say that they're a better coach team than a Pete Carroll offense or a Pete Carroll team, mm. but you come in and I think you have a chance to win this football game, and and you are finally on that same level playing field talent wise. And you got to show it and you got to go come out of here with a win. Cause you're not going to get th- those opportunities. Don't come around very often for a talent deprived Atlanta Falcons team. No one's going to be watching this game on Sunday. I, will I don't even think Seahawks and Falcons fan really want to watch this game on what Sunday. What are the other four clocks? That's the question. Cowboys yeah. probably playing. Who cares? Cooper rush. Yeah. That's a good question. Are we getting the first uh, non Joe Buck, Troy Aikman Fox game? uh for my guy greg olson old co-worker here at blue wire is it the greg olson burkhart game i don't know probably not there's no way we get the four o'clock version of them it's gonna be like vilma again as long as we don't have jonathan vilma again i swear I, we have jonathan i feel like vilma. it's gonna be vilma again we have vilma every single solitary game. need my guy charles oh Davis no there. it's packers bucks okay yeah, might you be a better Packers, game. Bucks, Rams, Cardinals, and Jags, Chargers. Those are your other options. Or hmm. Falcons, Seahawks. <laughs> I know what I'll be watching. Yeah, all of them. So no. there you go. All of them. Are you like? How does that work for you? Oh, Sunday ticket, man. What are you talking about? Two, no, two I get that. But like Sunday ticket. But like, how do you pay attention to what you need to pay attention to? How are you focused and knowing what you're saying? I mean, I have Falcons on the bottom screen. Falcons okay. always get the major screen. They always okay. do just because I have to cover its own screen. You mean, so it's got an own, it's got, no, it's own, got its own screen. screen. So it's like, okay. but I roll through commercial breaks and everything for them. 
the other ones I put on the top where it's like okay. all of the little different ones. Or I just run through Sunday Ticket if I'm feeling bored. There you go. Yeah, man. Um, well, we'll see ultimately what happens, but uh, it's going to be a fun weekend. Falls, yeah. Hawks Media Day today, too. Yeah, there wasn't a lot. I mean, outside of Nate saying he like went to Oklahoma and uh, Trey has some okay. ideas on how to fix the offense and do stuff with him and DeJounte. And I mean, that's cool. Did you have any main takeaways? I didn't. That was really all. No, the only thing I no, jotted down was from that. Anything. I didn't have any takeaways at all. I, I mean, oh, I, here's one thing. We have one takeaway. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Bogdan Bogdanovich is still not healthy. Bogdan is just uh, never going to be healthy. Like them just saying he's not 100%, but they expect him to be 100%. Well, yeah, sure. They didn't expect him to be healthy for this. He had the, the procedure. Yeah. I just yeah, don't think he's ever going to feel 100%. That man has had more injuries. Like, I, I don't know. Hey, man. I, I would just assume Bogey is never 100%. Well, good thing he's going to be the sixth man this year. I Look, I'm a Bogey defender, a Bogey guy. I love Bogey. I just, I just don't think he's ever going to. You're never going to hear on the port. Bogey feels amazing. Like, Bogey is 100%. Like, we're never going to have that. So, if you're waiting for that, folks. Well, that's the news that you always heard about Julio Jones every year. He comes in, yeah. he feels better than ever. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you say that every year. He's limping a little bit. Like, he's feeling... I mean, it's just... Yeah, he know. says that until he runs a, a go route and comes back limping because he blew out his hamstring again. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> I don't know. We're going to have to see what the, the Braves do uh, to get off this Matt Olson contract this winter. We'll have to see. Uh, Whoa! What the, what the odds? Ouch! Okay. Damn. I actually <laughs> looked at it. I looked at his stats. If you, mm. if you look at his seasons... It's pretty. It's like a trend. There's like a legitimate trend where he goes up, down, up, down, up. <laughs> yeah. And this is just the down after the up. So that means next year he's going to get for 45 home runs and have a, a 265, 270 average or something like that. I'm not worried. I will just say that it's fine. Like, he's also had somewhere... 10 errors at first base, which has been weird. Yeah. Which I is mean, weird. 112 WRC plus above average. He's just oh, been he's... a bad slub. Like he'll be fine. 28 dingers this year. He's just not Freddie. Like he's just he's no. fine. He's not Mr. Consistency. Yeah, Freddie Freeman. I mean, that's what that's he why might Freddie be more Freeman Adam LaRoche. Atlanta Brave. There's some Adam LaRoche to him to me. I see that. Oh, even with his approach too. Mm. His batting stance is almost Adam, except he's out and Adam LaRoche is up. But outside of that, that's so yeah, that's a decent, He's got that's a lot a decent of, one. It's just yeah. the thing is you're not paying him to be Adam LaRoche. You're paying him to be Freddie Freeman. That's the problem. Yeah. And but, you're not getting that, though. It turns yeah. out there aren't many Freddie Freemans out there. Oh, shocker. Yeah. Now, everyone's – yeah, all the Braves fans who were happy to see Freddie go blew my mind. I, I don't think that there are that many of them. I think it's just like a vocal minority of people. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. If Freddie wanted to be a Brave, he'd be a Brave. And I'm not – no holds barred. I don't. There you go. I mean, it is what it is. Garrett Chapman, W Millennials this weekend. Next weekend. Next. No, we weekend. were going to be this weekend, but we had a, had some. We had a college football game that we have to cover at the studio. So, mm, which one? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not covering it. It's just going in my time slot, but it's okay. Mm. Oh well. Um. Contracts. There you go. Garrett Chapman at GChap. ATL Max Markovich, we miss you. You're somewhere around the country. Where do, do Colorado? You say you I think Colorado okay. or something like that. He's he's in the Alamo. He's he's doing something. He's he's out there in the wilderness, and uh, you know doing what checking out do the San Colorado. Andreas Fault. Yeah, there you climbing go. the climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Exactly, all of those things. Max, we'll <laughs> get you next week. Garrett, thank you as always, my friend. 
and uh, I will talk to you very soon. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.